morning already this morning. And with that, I haven't had a chance to really pray before anyone with anyone in that work first time. So you can all join me in prayer for this. Heavenly Father, we ask you to break into our lives because we can't break out. We ask you to unveil our eyes because we can't see without. Lord, remove ourselves this morning. Bless us with this word. Bless us with your word. Lord, we come and we stand on that your word refreshes, strengthens, changes, challenges, loves, corrects. And we stand on that truth today, Lord. Lord, bless us in this time of fellowship and worship. And let our worship be of a sweet fragrance. In your son's name, amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be back. And we are continuing in the book of Ephesians. And I'm starting from chapter 4. And we take a big turn now. Because before Paul's been declaring God's plan. What God is doing. What God is doing. And from chapter 4, it turns that around to what we should be doing. And what we are doing. And for my message this morning, I think it was very apt what that woman shouted out. I do think sometimes our lives don't match what what we believe or what we say. And I'm the first one to hold my hand up to that. I thought it was my mum giving a shout out at first. Like, yeah, it's me, I'm here. I'm the hypocrite. But you've got to know why we are here. We are here because God's not an hypocrite. Because God, God does never do anything contrary to what he says he is. God is who he is. And we come to him knowing we fall short but standing in that grace and love. And so with that, I'm going to tell you your behaviour is wrong. Are we ready? Yeah, amen. Let me start by reading. I'm going to, Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. This morning when I came in, I was talking to Jez. And Hannah came up to me and she says, Bruce, what Bible verses are you using? And Jez went, what, Bruce preaching from Bible? That's a first. <laughs> Cheers, Jez. And then Simon says, I need an interpreter. I'm like, brilliant. It's just getting better. Yeah, I love you too. If anyone didn't hear, he said he'd love me first. No, I'm not just shouting that out, you know, it's reciprocally. So this is what Paul says, Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all. For me, this passage tells of two things. 
It tells of the perfect relationship and it tells of unity. And we'll start by giving an example of this unity. Now I'm not studying, I'm back home, uh, I'm winning Ian's, and this allows me to watch a lot of TV, things that I can catch up on. And I've been watching this series about greatest sportsmen. And there was an interviewed Steve Redgrave, the rower. And I've never paid much time for rowing. I live in Bradford, we're 200 miles from any sort of water, aren't we? You know what I mean? Like, but I'm, re I'm watching it, and he wins five gold medals in five consecutive Olympics. But it's the last one that really bothered me. In that, his body's too old now for him and his pal just to do it. They need four of them to do this. And he says, although there's four men in this boat, we are but one team. And although four row individually, it is but with one stroke, we move the boat along. It is only one position that we can win, that is first place. And as four men stand there, we Great Britain as one country, one team win one gold medal. What a picture of unity. What a picture of individuals coming together for the purpose of one thing. And if one of those did not act in total unity, they would not have claimed the gold. So we'll keep that in mind. Perfect unity. The next thing that we are going to look at in this passage as well is the perfect relationship. We might think that is unattainable. I don't know, some of you might look at your wife this morning and go, I've got it. Some might look at your husband and say, I've definitely got that perfect relationship. Some of you have dropped your head stuck for but it's all right. <laughs> we'll pray. Because it is possible, a perfect relationship. Paul starts this section with a therefore in verse 1. Where it says in, in the New King James, as a. In the new version it says, therefore. What Paul's saying is, what comes next comes in light of what I've just said. What we do next is because of what's just gone on before. And chapter 4 must be taken in direct relation to what he has just said in the first three chapters. So a quick synopsis of what he said. Chapter 1 is God's eternal plan to gather all things in heaven and earth to himself through Christ. Bring back the world that chose to turn away from him. The people in rebellion. The ones he created and loved. This is his plan to remake them his children. Chapter 2 says this is done by the death and resurrection of Christ. Because Christ died for our sins and then rose again to show that the victory was won, we can live by the Spirit in relationship to God. Christ does that. 
My plan is, I'm going to bring you all back together. How am I going to do it? Christ. Chapter 3 goes on about the mystery of God. That not only he's chosen people, the Jews, but everybody now is coming back to me. Everybody. There's no longer Jew or Gentile slave. There's no dividing barrier. You're one new people of individuals in equality as a unit. That is what's going to happen. So Paul's saying, you were far off. But don't worry, God's plan was to bring you back close. And he does this by Jesus. And now he's done this by Jesus, there's no division. You are all one. Like, God, what God's done is amazing. It's wonderful, it's powerful, it changes lives. It secures your future, my future, and it secures my now and now. Like Paul's like, this is the biggest thing ever. This is the good news. This is the gospel. And if that doesn't rock your boat, maybe you need to go back at the beginning and read it. But if it does, if it does, therefore, this is how what your life should look like. We stand as one people in Christ. Future secure. Sins forgiven. We have a new life. We are now sons and daughters of God. We have a new heart. Judas, we need a new heart. Boy, am I glad for that today. You don't want to see what my heart used to be like. Am I glad for that today? Have a new mind. Boy, did that need cleaning and washing. And I have a perfect relationship with God. My relationship with God before was broken. My back was turned to him. I had a relationship with him. I did have a relationship with him. It was one that I rejected, didn't want to know. I had a, it was a bad relationship. But because of the blood of Christ, my new creation, I stand in a perfect relationship. And now that means, because I stand in this relationship with God, all other relationships should look different now. And we once behaved in old relationships should not be the same we behave now. We don't continue in the same mindset towards people that we used to before we became Christians, it's different now. We don't view relationships the same. We don't even value them the same. They mean something now. In fact, relationships to a Christian should mean something totally different to what they do for a non-Christian. In this letter, Paul continues, continually uses to use the phrase, in Christ, in Christ you have this, in Christ you have that, in Christ. And what does he mean by that? He says that now a Christian is in a perfect relationship with Christ because he is in union with God. In union with God. 
because of what Jesus did. He came as the lowest of the law so he could be equal with the lowest of the law. I've said it many times before. In Paul's day, the idea of a perfect relationship could only exist if two people was of equal stature. Let me give an example of this. A king is walking through his town and he sees a lowly peasant woman and he falls deeply in love. But he knows if he goes to her as a king, she will never love him genuinely and purely because she will forever know the gap between them. She will know that her love is never worthy enough to love him. And that would break his heart. That he would have a love of a woman who doesn't feel she deserves it. All the torment and pain. So one day he became a beggar. He became just like her. And boy did she fall in love with a man. And then he raised her up. To be a heir of the world. See what equality does. Jesus came as the lowliest. Because if he didn't, I wouldn't be here and none of you would be here. How beautiful is Jesus. He took our sin so we could be in total union and communion with him. We're not going to stay in this relationship. But we are clean. We are equal. He is over. He makes us that. By the resurrection, we believe that he conquered death and we can have a new life. We too can be resurrected in this life through the Spirit to have a new life, renew the mind, renew my heart. I'm not who I used to be. His actions allowed us to have that perfect relationship with God. We talk to him. He's so loving. He makes a wonderful relationship. So much so, Paul says, you are in him. And he's in you. I believe all of Paul's letters are about this, if I'm honest with you, about the perfect relationship. He needs to get into our head that we are in a perfect union with Christ. And that means we should aim and have perfect union and unity with everybody else. I believe that's what Paul's getting at in all his letters. And now Paul tells us that our actions towards others should be the same as Jesus' actions towards us. Right? He said, if Jesus has done this, and this is how Jesus has been towards you, then your life should just look the same as what Jesus has done. The way Jesus treats us, that's it. It's not rocket science. Simple stuff, Paul's saying. And I know that I'm preaching to the choir. I'm going to go on about patience. I'm going to go out love. I'm going to go about forbearing. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. I'm not. I'm talking to people who understand that. 
Maybe this morning, I need to understand that. I always get passages where I'm the lowest and shortest. I read it, patience. I'm like, you're joking. I'm, I've got least patience in here. Love. So I'm preaching myself this morning, and I know, but my hope is that I'm aiming towards the perfect relationship with you. My aim is that I can conduct myself like Jesus. I don't want a broken relationship in my life anymore. I'm done with that. My life is full of them because of my past. But Paul says, because Jesus has put you in the right relationship now, trust me, you can do this. You can have the right relationship. Our relationships with one another reflect our relationship with God. And our relationship with God reflects our relationships with one another. Boy, ain't that summer. How I treat you is a direct re- reflection of how I treat my Lord. And how I treat my Lord is a direct reflection how I treat you. How I believe the Lord treat me. Man, that strong stuff is that. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We should be Christ-like. As life should look like Christ. Our relationships should look like that of Christ towards us. But what does these relationships look like? Are you ready, Jez? We're getting in Bible now. Good man. <clears throat> Verse 1. Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a worthy life of the calling you've received. The first one. Who believes that? The free now. Who believes that? I'll tell you now you're not. You're a prisoner of the Lord. You were once a prisoner of sin and now you're a prisoner of the Lord. There's no such thing as freedom. Let's get rid of that now. We haven't got that. What does a prisoner do? prisoner doesn't say, do you know what? Today I ain't going to be a prisoner. I'm going to go walk outside for a while. No. You, your actions, your daily routine, your mentality, what you eat, how you eat, how you act is shaped by the prison guards and the warden. You do not have freedom. Paul says, I don't have freedom. I don't want it. I never had it and I never want it. I'm now a prisoner of the Lord. What he says, I do. Didn't know discussion. You're a prisoner and that prisoner says, listen, you've got to get up for your chow in the morning. You don't say, do you know what, guard? This morning I'm laying in. Don't feel like being a prisoner. Do you know what? I ain't got up in the right mood today to be a prisoner. I'm a bit short-tempered. I'm a bit upset. That don't happen. You've got to be a prisoner. That's what you are. We don't have the same excuse. We don't get up and say, you know what, God? Today I ain't going to be a Christian. I'm just going to chill out. No. You're a prisoner of me. You haven't got the, uh, you haven't got the right 
to say no. Powerful stuff. Paul says, live a life worthy. There's an expectation. It's an expectation on your behavior. It's an expectation on your life now. Not only are you a prisoner, but it's an expectation to conduct yourself that as a, of an ambassador. I went to go see my dad the other day. He said, I'll think about buying a new car. I said, all right. He said, I've seen one. If I pay a bit extra, I can get this beeping. I can get that flashing. I can get that moving. That can drop down. I can go up to 11 on my stereo. And I thought to myself, man, when I become a Christian, that's how I kind of went in. I went into the shop and I went, right, God, what can I have as an additional option? Patience, don't want that. I ain't paying for that. Oh, goodness, I'll have a bit of that. These are not additional options. It's not some of that we can choose to have or not. They come a standard. And to be an ambassador for the king of kings. How does people know what the king of kings look like? Because they should look at us and go, if that's the king they're serving, boy, I want some of that. If that's what his ambassador looks like, We'll see what that conduct looks like next. But there's an expectation, and it's not a choice. Verse 2, be completely unbuilt and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Humility. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. But thinking, no, might have done. It's that it says, don't think yourself any less, but just think less of yourself. Like humility is not putting yourself down. It's not dragging yourself through mud. It's just not thinking about yourself at all. It's putting everybody else before you. It's putting everybody else's needs before you. It's saying that prayer, Lord, not mine, but your will. Jesus didn't put himself first. Paul didn't put himself first. Humility is to see Christ in other people and love them so. One thing about these things that we get told to do, humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing, we can only do them if we're with people. These are not solo actions. The Christian life is not a solo life, and we'll get onto that. But you can only practice humility if you're with people, if you're with God's people. If you're sharing your life with that. Coming for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning and that's it. You've got no chance of expressing your Christianity. You ain't enough time to be humble, patient and bearing in half an hour. You're in, you're here, you get out. It takes more than that. There's an expectation on us. You know the 
And on the 3rd and 4th century, there were the desert fathers who said, you know what, we want to just be like Christ-like. So we're going to go off into caves and just become super, like, spiritual. We'll eat less. We'll just wear not. We'll live in caves. We'll just be connected with God. We won't see no one. We'll be super pure. And Ananathia said to him, you can't even fulfill God's first commandment to love another because you have not got another insight to love. We must be around people. God's people, the world. Gentleness. I'm always blown away of how gentle the Lord is when I read how he deals with people. The lowly, the poor, the broken. Absolutely beautiful. I've never, I still can't comprehend that. And we're dealing with broken people. We're all not in a good shape at times. Gentleness should be a mark of the Christian life. This does not mean that we're cowards. This does not mean that we're not bold. But it's a type of caring. Patience. Oh boy. Patience is not lack of apathy. Where nothing rattles you because you don't care. That in patience. And I know some of you are looking now going, you know, see my husband, I've been patient for 40 years. It's not that kind of patience either. This is a patience where you see people's weaknesses and you never, ever, ever, ever stop loving that weakness. Helping that weakness. Getting them to strengthen that weakness. This is not patience, it's not ignoring other people's downfalls. It's loving them in that downfall. It's building them up in that downfall. Boy, I've got many. And you know, my mentality was people, please be patient with me. My mentality is now, Lord, let me be patient with other people because my life should be about other people. It's not about me. It's not about me and my flaws. Man, I just want to be patient. The Lord says, how many times, Peter said to the Lord, how many times should we forgive? There ain't enough numbers in the, in the world to forgive that much. You've got to keep forgiving. When you are working in ministries and around people, you soon learn how to forgive a lot. You've got to forgive a lot. You've got to be patient. This can only come though when we realize how patient God's been with us. As Christ loved us, as Christ forgave us, we then are thus patient. Bearing, bearing one another. 
I went in the church last week. I won't say where it is or what its name was. Um, I've gone into the sanctuary just like this. And in the corner of the sanctuary were a bar. There were a guy behind the bar serving pints as we're all getting ready for service, worship band are getting. Hang on, but wait. Now, everyone knows that's always been my problem, so that's something that I notice. Is that bearing with one another? Is that truly bearing with one another when I say, do you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do, regardless of how it trips you up. I know you might be weak in this part. I know you might have this weakness in your life. I don't care about that. I'm just going to continue. Is that bearing somebody else? Is that reaching out to somebody else and saying, do you know what? You're that weak in that area. I'm going to cut that out of my life. So I do not become that stumbling block to you. So I do not trip you up. I'm going to sacrifice part of me in my life so you can be better. So I can love you more. Total selflessness. I'd love that. I would love to be in my life. I am so spiritually aware of other people's weaknesses. I can say, Lord, take that out of my life then because I don't want to trip them up. I don't want to trip them up. I don't want to flaunt money. I ain't got any. I don't want anything to do with any flaunting or opening of sexuality. I don't want to put drink and drugs in front of anybody. I don't want to gossip. It's gossiping, bearing with one another. Not only has my brother got a weakness, but I'm going to tell everybody about his weakness and give him a good kicking in spiritually behind his back. It's that the loving and bearing. Like... We should be doing these things and the world should be going, why are them guys carrying on like that? Why are they living like so? Why are they so loving and so caring and just got total humility? And when someone's so weak, they let go of their own pride, their own possessions to build that person and love them. Something so different about them. You betcha. Because that's how we were treated by God. That's how God still treats us in a perfect relationship. And I want a perfect relationship with you guys. I want it with the people of the world. I want it with the non-Christians that I'm ministering to. This is just not an in-house club. I mean, this gets out. Visitors, people who are not Christians, people we come across. We're going to do something to you. Our response will be so perfect with you, you'll be dumbfounded. Time's getting on here. Has anyone got a chicken in? We might be here a while. Let's jump. Paul said, this is what a perfect relationship looks like. And then he says, make every effort to keep unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. The sign of the spirit is unity. 
But unity is also the sign that the Spirit is with us. We can only be as one because we have the same Spirit, the one Spirit, the Spirit of God. He takes that Spirit out of here and all else breaking loose this morning. We can only be that. But only when we have unity will the Spirit come. I'm not going to turn now. We're going to, I'm not going to now. Psalm 133 says, Oh, of unity is like the oil running, running down David's head. The oil that signifies the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that's anointed upon him because of unity. If we have disunity, we have no Spirit of God. How do we get disunity? We have no patience. We have no humility. We are not gentle. We are not bearing. We lose one of those towards another person. I'm telling you now, you're going to bring disunity into it. Where there's disunity, there's no God. There's no spirit. Verse 4 and 5. There is but one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope, and when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The body is us. The body is, as they would say in America, y'all. We don't have a word for y'all in English. We're too good for that. But a lot of times when Paul says you, it means y'all. This is who you are. You are of one unit. It's not like you've got your relationship with God. You've got a separate relationship with God. You've got your separate relationship with God. You've got something separate. You've got something separate. And we come together and we share ideas. No, all of us participate in the one body. This one relationship between Christ and the body. Christ and his bride. You don't have a relationship with your wife's leg, then your wife's elbow, then your wife's ear. You have one relationship with the fullness of her. Loving and cherishing all of her. Seeing the individual parts in her as a whole. We are not of this unity. We are one body. We have one hope, Christ. If you've got any other hope this morning but Christ, you ain't got hope. I'm telling you that now. I don't care what situations it in. One hope, Christ. We have one Lord, Christ. We are a prisoner to that Lord. We have one faith. One faith. Anybody who's been at the School of Discipleship will know what I mean when we say we have one faith. You don't have your individual faith. You don't have your individual faith. You don't have your individual faith. But as individuals, we partake in one faith that originally came from Christ as the faithful one who went to the cross. And the faithful Father who raised him from the dead and forgave, and forgave us. Faith came from the Trinity, came from God. 
through belief we access that one faith. Paul says, I long to see you that I may increase your faith and you increase mine. We're in one faith. Somebody else's faith is weak this morning. Don't say, don't keep praying, God will sort it out. No, we're responsible to increase and build their faith. That beautiful faith that comes from God, we partake in as a one, as one faith. The faithful. Paul always uses the plural the most of the time. You believers, you faithful, those of the faith. We have plural into this single faith. I'm not on my own, neither of you. We are partakers in the one faith. I'm skipping quite some now. So, one God. Verse 6 says, We have but one God, the Father, who is all and through all. You don't need reminding this morning, but I'm going to remind myself who that is. It's the God who spoke the existence of the universe, it's the God who scattered the stars, the God who created the sea and the land created man and the animals and said be good stewards over that he's the one who called Abraham out says I am who I am he parted the Red Sea he freed the Jews from slavery in Egypt he built the ark and saved man from its total destruction He led Moses to the Mount of Zion. He dropped the walls of Jericho. He raised David a farmer to slay Goliath. He brought a royal priesthood. He built a temple so the world could see where he dwelt. He holds the universe in his hand. He commanded Satan to get out of heaven. The worships had the angels worship him. We will throw crowns down at his feet. And that man came as the lowest man so we could have a perfect relationship. He was despised, poor, broken, so we could have that perfect relationship. He was fully man, tempted by everything and did not sin. Because you see, if he sinned, you ain't got a perfect relationship with him because it's tainted on his side. This God who created all that shouted out on the cross, it is forgiven, it's finished. You're forgiven, perfect relationship and I'm going to come back in three days to show you what that looks like. Show you how much I love you. He healed the sick. He walked on water. He fed 5,000. And he came in a manger so we could be in perfect relationship, in unity. 
We can never understand that. Because of them things, we now have the Spirit. We have the Spirit that preaches Christ crucified, that Christ Abba Father, but that same Spirit that looks to each other to say, I want a perfect relationship with my brother and sister. I want to be the Christ in the world. I want to love those no one else will love. I want to be patient with those everyone else has given up on. I want to bear with those that everybody else thinks annoying. Therefore, because what Christ did, let us be prisoners and ambassadors of the Lord. Let's pray and we'll invite the band back up. Heavenly Father, we know that these attributes in our normal natural self are unattainable. Lord, we pray that we get a hold of what you did, a hold of the Spirit to live in uni unity and bless us with more patience, with more kindness, with more love, with more bearance. Lord, bless us with the longing and the wanting to be part of this family, to be a part of your church. Not for an hour a week, but be in that. Lord, as you didn't think anything so grand you to hold on to, you became a man, a humble man. Let us not think of anything special that we are. Remove our pride, remove our ignorance. And how can we have a relationship with anybody if we think we're above them, Lord? Remove that from me so I can stand with the lowliest and be total unity, loving like you was Christ, if you don't come into our lives and make that happen, it is not going to happen. So I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you, Lord. Transform us to be more like you. In your son's name, amen.